After today, we're going to have a break from Revelation. It's going to be one of those mid-season breaks, and we'll pick it up later, and we'll finish out Revelation. So Revelation doesn't end here, but starting in August, I want you to know this, because I want you to begin praying about this. We enter into a season of new growth and life at this church, and it's going to be represented by a lot of different things. There will be events that we do every year, like back-to-school blessing on August 16th. Um, so I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to think about who you need to invite to that. And I want you to get ready to begin the ministry of prayer. By the way, one ministry that I want to encourage every single member of this congregation to be involved in is the ministry of prayer. Each and every one of you are qualified to participate. And we need it. It's the first, it's the first assignment that the risen Jesus Christ gave his disciples in Jerusalem when he told them to wait and to pray. So we can start with that as well. We're going to also begin in August. You're going to see the beginning of, uh, and I know that some of you here have not been through this process, where we, we name new shepherds for this congregation, spiritual leaders for this congregation to come alongside our current shepherds. And I'll be telling you more about that process as we go. Uh, feel free to ask questions. But we have so many wonderful things that represent new life and growth. And we need to just spend some time, at least in August, focusing on that, praying about it, studying about it, talking to one another about it. So I want you to get ready for that. Speaking of um, transitions, changes, uh, new opportunities, new growth, I want to affirm a few things right now. Um, we have one couple with us who've been with us for a while, but they want it to be known that they, they truly consider themselves and want to be uh, welcomed as a member of this spiritual church family. And, that, and that's Bobby and Robin Gist. And go ahead and give us a wave there, Bobby. And we want to welcome you. And just as you welcome people in, some people go out. So our worship leader, Andrew Todd, is taking Go Week rather literally because Andrew is, it's Tuscaloosa, right? He is, I just wanted to be sure, he is going to law school at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa and will be making his move this week. And Andrew, we want you to do those things that you will do so well, and I know that you will do it in God's name, and you have our support to glorify God in doing that. We wish you well. God bless you, Andrew. When Revelation came to the churches, when the revelation of Jesus Christ was shared with John, and then he shared it with the congregations who would listen, there was a pride in the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire had brought peace and prosperity to all of the known world. With their military strength and their economic power, they established temples in various cities, like Ephesus, uh, like, um, uh, like, like the seven cities addressed in Revelation. These temples were dedicated to various legendary gods, like Artemis of the Ephesians, and uh, Zeus, and uh, you know, Mercury, and, and all of the other Roman gods that would have been so well known. 
Temples were on every corner representing these, these powers. But one of the things that the Roman Empire would bring also was not just this golden age of new temples, but they would bring the benefit of public works. They would improve the cities. They would improve the roads. They would make, they would make life more habitable in these cities and, and made these cities the places where people would come and honor the power and the prestige of Rome. Public works supported a good life. And, you know, in the Roman Empire, like no other empire before them, slaves were cared for. Slaves were taken care of by their masters. Yes, they were treated like human property, and sometimes they were used for immoral purposes. But hey, in the Roman Empire, at least there was peace, even if they had slavery, right? They prided themselves on that peace, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And at its spiritual core was not just the worship of the old gods, but the worship of the emperor. The worship of the new deities. These individuals who ruled the empire, both as men but also as divine. Even the money that they would mint would recognize that the emperor ruled by the will of God, that he was the supreme being who ruled over a supreme empire. And he would carry with him the thunderbolts of Zeus, or he was the son of Isis. Not those Islamic state guys, but the ancient goddess Isis, the mother of all gods. And in the city of Ephesus, the emperor Domitian built his temple, and the cities that were favored by the godly emperor would get the best of things. And Domitian put a statue in his own temple where he would be revered. A statue of himself over 20 feet high. Wow, who wouldn't be impressed by the power and the might of the Roman Empire when you have to confront that mighty image of the emperor even in a city as far away as Ephesus. Throughout the known world, The strength of the Roman Empire had brought peace. And you could thank God to the emperors because there was no more war. There was peace. There was prosperity. Thank you, Roman Empire. Thank you, Roman emperors, that there is no more war. Or was there? The vision that John brings to the people of God. It's an unveiling. It's a revealing. It's an apocalypse, which means to uncover that which is being kept secret. John rips the cover off the peace of Rome, off the peace of the Roman Empire, and he says, oh, there is war. There is war. And there's been war for a long time. I want to read to you Romans or Revelation chapter 12. It's a story of an ancient battle between good and evil. It's kind of a, a mix of legends and legendary uh, items like dragons and angels and the exodus and things that the people of the empire, the people who were following God, they would have heard these stories. But now in this revelation, with those symbols, Jesus Christ has revealed to John that there is a story that explains that not only... Has there been a conflict, but we are still at war? John says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. 
I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. But her child was snatched away and the dragon was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It's come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger knowing that he has little time. And when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings, like those of a great eagle, so that she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. And there she would be cared for, protected from the dragon, for a time, for times, and half a time. And the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. And then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. After witnessing this vision, John reveals the truth. The truth that's revealed to him by Jesus Christ. This isn't to terrify them. This isn't to discourage them. It's meant to keep them focused. Because the first thing they need to know is, even though Rome is crying out that there is new peace, and that if you respect Rome and if you comply with Rome, there is peace. The message is, we are at war. And when you come to grips with that, you understand what it is that you are supposed to do. Some of you here may not even remember when our nation and our culture described itself without conflict. That we're involved in some kind of war. A war on terror or a war to preserve freedoms. Some of you may not even remember that in your own lifetime. Some of you may remember many wars that our nation has been involved in or wars that have affected other parts of the world. I remember a significant shift around 1990 
when the first operations took place in the Gulf War. And I remember, in particular, how the news changed. My father at that time was the, um, he was the administrator at the 362nd PSYOP unit in Fayetteville. And the local press approached him, and they said, we haven't been at war in any recent time in, in, in our history. What does this do? The reporter asked, are you and your people concerned? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you nervous about this? And I guess Dad just knew the right answer. He said, this is what we do. This is what we prepare for. And it's what they had always been doing. When we hear that we are spiritually at war, it's meant to orient us in the same way. When we get surprised that God's people are persecuted for following Christ, the Lord is saying, what did you expect? If you follow me, you seek to please me. Yesterday, at the funeral service that was here for our friend Thomas Quickle. And Thomas came to this nation from another nation where being a Christian was not appreciated. Thomas's son Daniel said something at the end of that service that I thought was very interesting, something that I wonder, would we say that? He said, my father knew how to be a fisher of men because he was a patient fisherman. He said he knew that when he decided to follow Christ, that people would reject you, people would spit upon you, people would turn against you. And I wonder, do we ever stop and think about that? That following Christ means that people will turn against you? Thank God that we're fortunate enough that when we choose to follow Christ, people often say congratulations. It'll be a very different time when people say, watch out. But maybe we need to keep that in perspective because even if the culture doesn't necessarily persecute us, you have an enemy who does not want you on the side of the Lord. And the message that is coming out of Revelation saying we are at war, one of the first things you do when you are at war is you need to know your enemy. You better understand who your enemy is. And you'd better get the enemy right. Because if you get the enemy wrong, you're going to be fighting battles that you don't need to be fighting. You're going to be involved in conflicts that don't have anything at all to do with your enemy. That's why the Revelation says, the enemy is the dragon. Wait a second, Benjamin. This is Revelation. Where's the Antichrist? He didn't show up for the auditions in Revelation. He's not in there. Well, wait a second. What about the beast? Before you get to the beasts, there is first a dragon. And that is important to understand. You've got to know about this enemy. First of all, because he's a deceiver. Take a look. If you've got your scripture at 12.9... Revelation 12, 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, the one deceiving the whole world. He's a huge dragon whose tail can knock a third of the stars out of the sky. 
but he works in an invisible way through deception. He works to deceive, and he will deceive us. And if, and if he can keep us fighting with one another or fighting in other battles that we don't have any business fighting in, he's doing his work. Keep that in mind. He's a deceiver. Know your enemy. The other thing that we must know about our enemy. Oh, oh by the way, <laughs> be very, very alert to the dragon's deceptions. And I want you to know this. This isn't some storybook version of this about a dragon or a serpent or a garden. And that's all, you know, nice stories and symbology. The literal meaning here is let's not tell lies and let's not be lied to. Oh, really? That's just part of his deception again. To get you to believe that the practical everyday stuff in your life doesn't have anything to do with his work. He's going to deceive us, church. In our day and age, we'll identify with the wrong enemy. We'll think that Republicans or Democrats are the enemy. And that everything hinges on the next few elections. And we better fight. We better fight. And the dragon is just happy with that as we're stuck in those deceptions. I'm not saying that those things don't have some importance. I'm not saying that those things don't matter to us. But you must understand, those are not the real enemy. It is, a, it is a deception. It is a distraction. The dragon will convince us that, that, that gay people are the enemy. He'll convince us that there's, there's a group out here and there's a group out here and they represent their immorality and they're coming after the church and we need to get ready to fight them. That's not the fight we fight. That's not how we fight. You're, I'm, don't worry. You're, how do we fight? We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. But you have to watch out and know your enemy or he's going to get us into the wrong battles. And as long as we're fighting the wrong battles and the wrong enemies, we lose. It's not that he wins, we lose when that happens. Dragon will get us convinced that other denominations are the enemies. We have conversations with other groups who believe different things. Uh, We may need to discuss some things, but that's not the enemy. John has told us the enemy is the dragon, Satan, the deceiver. Know the enemy. Well, there's people in this congregation that I just can't, can't stand, and there's things that they're doing, and I, I just, I just, I just can't, I can't worship with them. I can't be with them. You have a conflict with them. You have a problem with them, but they are not your enemy. They are God's children. And we may see things differently. Even sinners are not our enemy. You learned this when you were little. You know? Come on. You roll the gospel chariot along. Sinners in the way, what do you do? You stop and pick him up. Because he's not your enemy. Okay, but if the devil's in your way, run right over him. Because that's the enemy. That's the enemy. I've seen some of y'all, you're running over sinners when you're driving the gospel chariot. Now stop doing that, okay? I mean in the song. I don't know if you're doing it in real life. I hope not. I mean, don't do that. The deceiver is going to cause us to get mired in earthly battles, and we're going to equate that with the spiritual goals of God. 
We're going to think that we're going to get medals and badges and honors if we fight these battles on earth. And the, the secret is being revealed to say, focus on the enemy. He's a deceiver. He will get you off track. He's dangerous. But he is defeated. And that's the reason why we lose when we are deceived. But the dragon never wins. The dragon has been defeated, and he's been thrown down to earth. And in his defeat, he's going to be so dangerous because he's going to do everything he can to hurt us. The message here is, this is why it's not easy to follow Christ in this world. Because there's another power at work that opposes the work of God. And all of the agents of the dragon, they're all just puppets in the hands of this power who will go after God's people trying to do right. And we need to keep that in mind. But we need to remember too, his defeat, his doom is settled. This is one of those, what are are you talking about then? How is that possible that he's still doing this if he's defeated? This is where I wish, for your sake, that they knew something about football in the first century, okay? Because it would make it so much easier for us. But I, I saw this a lot in high school football games. You know, the, it's, you're in the fourth quarter, and the score is like you know, 78 to 0, okay? This is way before mercy rule. We didn't have mercy rule in those days. And so the team that has the 0 is just mad, and so what are you going to do? You're going to, if you're, you know, sometimes people I knew were the ones with the zero, okay? And so it's like you, you hurt the other people. Why? Because you're mad. I know that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's the whole point. The dragon knows that he's on the losing side of this battle. So he's going to hurt as many of God's children as he can. And he's not going to do it alone. He's going to employ others. He's going to empower others with his power. So when we get to chapter 13, that's when we learn that there are beasts. The dragon takes his stand. And when he does, a beast rises up out of the sea and a beast rises up out of the land. There are actually two beasts in Revelation, not just one. And these two beasts represent the powers on earth. In fact, it may even be the Pax Romana. But it's any power that works on the side of the deceiver, the accuser, the persecutor. And the revelation, the secret that's being revealed is these great beasts are really just puppets. They, they are just agents for the dragon. They don't represent any real authority on their own. But, but they will... They will deceive as well, and, and the dragon will use them. Now, here's where, here's where we've got to be careful and know our enemy. And I'm going to use this illustration, even though I know it's, it, it may not work for some of you, but, but we can work that because it's, it's, a, it's a Star Wars story, okay? You know, in Star Wars, it always struck me as strange that the Emperor and Darth Vader seem to be pretty good pals, But he wants Luke Skywalker to kill Darth Vader and join him. 
that doesn't seem quite right, but you see, he's evil. And if he gets Luke Skywalker to kill his enemy, then he gets Luke Skywalker to be on his side. Star Wars knows something about how the enemy works, I guess. It's not original from those movies. You go back to Revelation and the deceiver, you know, why not just take out the beast, we say? Why don't we just get more firepower than the beast? Why don't we just take on those things? You know, whether it's in the streets or in the courts or wherever it is, why don't we just have superior might, superior strength, and use it in God's name? Because the second you do, you become the beast. You become the beast in the hands of the dragon. God's people do not trust in those worldly ways of fighting a war. So what do we do then? Well, there's a secret. There's a secret to authority, but it's an unsecret secret. Because we are the post-apocalyptic church. That means we are the church on this side of all the secrets being revealed. And the secret that's been revealed to us is this. That when the dragon takes his stand, we take our stand as well. But it's not a stand of force. It's a stand of patient endurance and faithfulness. Right there in the middle of the description of the two beasts. And and these beasts are terrifying. And they're coming after God's people. Right there in the midst of those descriptions in verse 10. It says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Who else did that against the powers of the Roman Empire? Who else did that against those who thought that they were standing up for God's faith, but they weren't? Who else did that? Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. The way the gospel writers describe it is he stood before his accusers like a lamb about to go to a slaughter. Is that weakness? No, that's resolve. That's endurance. That's faithfulness. He trusted that God would rescue him. He trusted that God would make things right. You can understand then that when he goes all the way to the cross and is crucified, is killed and buried, which by the way was the the peaceful Roman government's ultimate way of not only killing you, but shaming you, shaming your followers, telling everybody, if you mess with Rome, this is what we have the power to do to you. It wasn't just in the physical torture that the cross had its power. It's in the symbol. The symbol of what it meant. So what do you do? I mean, when the Christ has been killed... What do you do? That's the end of story, right? That's the revelation. It's not. God can raise the dead back to life. And if he can do that, then we can stand. We can endure. Because there's much more than just 98.6 and breathing. There's much more than preserving the ruins of this world. That mighty statue of the emperor Domitian. There's only bits and pieces of it that are left. 
There's a museum that has the head and the hand of that statue. And he even has his nose knocked off. The temple of the emperor Domitian looks like a child's set of blocks. It's just fallen over. Archaeological ruins. Nothing much is left of that mighty empire. And I tell you, all the empires that come after them will not endure. But when we take our stand of patient endurance and faithfulness, that will last for eternity. And we need to keep that in mind because this is the message, the secret to victory. You don't fight back with the dragon's weapons or he will take you down with him. We worship a different, you know, I understand you talk about the power and the strength of the Roman Empire, but don't we use those words in our songs? Don't we have those terms in our scriptures? We do. But it's a different definition of power and strength. It's the power to not be moved. It's the power to faithfully endure. It is the strength to trust in God. It is power and strength rooted in hope, not in physical might. It's the ability to not be anxious because we know that we can depend on God. It's the ability to stay faithful even though the pressures are all around us to compromise. This is the unsecret secret to victory. When, when a believer is baptized, we connect with the blood of the Lamb who did not give back what was given to him but neither did he give in to the forces that were trying to get him to surrender. In our baptism, we join Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. In this battle, the real war, often in history they describe bloodless wars, bloodless revolutions. Well, this is not a bloodless revolution, but the only blood that makes this revolution possible, the only blood that makes any difference is the blood of the Lamb. So when we are called to wash our garments in the blood of the Lamb, we're giving up the worldly ways of the dragon. We're giving up the worldly ways of the beasts, the deceiver, who wants us to fight on his terms. Because if we do, we lose on his terms. But if we will go ahead and wash ourselves in the blood of the Lamb, meaning that we're willing to take on the sacrifice of Jesus. Sacrifice, church. Jesus didn't sacrifice Himself for us so that we could get out of jail free. He sacrificed Himself for us so that we would learn that His life and His path is the way to victory. And we're being called to that kind of life. Like it was said yesterday, when Jesus calls us, he calls us at the risk of being mistreated, spat upon, rejected, refused. But patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people achieves victory for God. That's not only good for us as individuals, but it's God's plan to redeem all things. When we stand and sing this song, 
you're being reminded we're at war today. We're at war with forces that are going to accuse you, deceive you, try to get you distracted, dangerous forces that will hurt you in ways you may not even imagine or recognize. Come to the Lamb. Come to the Lamb, the one who was faithful to God, the one who was patient, who endured, who was a faithful witness. Follow Him. Humble yourself, as Scripture says, in the sight of the Lord, and you'll be lifted up. If you need to to be baptized into the blood of the Lamb, or if you need prayers for endurance, uh, we have elders in room 100. We'll have elders right down here. However we need to respond to encourage one another, let's do that now, okay?